Revolutions Per Minute is a weekly radio show from the New York City chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America, recorded live at WBAI 99.5 FM in Brooklyn every Tuesday at 7 p.m. RPM is about doing the work, the work to build a democratic socialist future. Each week, hear the latest news, analysis, and organizing experience from the minds and hearts of activists fighting every day in New York City. Join the movement at socialists.nyc. Hey, what's up, New York City? This is Amy Wilson. You're listening to Revolutions Per Minute live on WBAI. We are a socialist radio show and podcast from members of the New York City Democratic Socialists of America. The Democratic Socialists of America is the largest socialist organization in the United States with 95,000 members nationwide. New York City DSA is our biggest chapter. We are run by our 9,000 plus members and organizers who are working together to build democratic socialism in all five boroughs. Once again, my name is Amy Wilson. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm a worker and organizer here in New York City. When workers at the JFK 8 facility in Staten Island won the first union at an Amazon distribution facility on April 1st, 2022, by voting to form the independent Amazon Labor Union, their stunning victory was a surprise and an inspiration. Now, a little over a year later, workers at that same facility are organizing for reform to the Amazon Labor Union which they say has adopted a top-down structure that stifles shop shop floor democracy. Regular listeners of Revolutions Per Minute will certainly be familiar with union reform efforts in more established unions like UAW, the Teamsters, and as we heard last week, UFCW. But the Reform ALU movement brings a new twist to this common story by organizing within an independent union that has yet to reach a first contract for its workers. To understand this moment and what led up to it, I'm live tonight with David Desiree, a worker organizer at the JFK 8 facility and a member of the Reform ALU Caucus. We will be taking your calls later in the show, so please get ready to join the discussion. But first, the headlines with Caroline Van Zeitz. Hello, listeners. This is Caroline with your headlines for today, Tuesday, July 25th. In local news, the Metropolitan Transit Authority's board voted unanimously to raise fares for the first time since 2019. The board had paused previously scheduled fare increases during the COVID-19 pandemic. Governor Kathy Hochul issued an executive order extending the controversial 421A tax break to a Gowanus housing development project, despite criticism from many labor unions. A detainee at Rikers Island died in his cell, the seventh inmate to pass away in 2023, following the deaths of 19 inmates in 2022. The federal government is preparing to strip control of the jail complex away from the city's Department of Corrections. The city agreed to pay out $13 million to settle a class action civil rights lawsuit brought by 1,300 protesters involved in protests following George Floyd's murder in 2020. After Edward Caban officially became the new commissioner of the New York Police Department, Tania Kinsella was elevated to the position of first deputy commissioner, despite several civilian complaint review board complaints, including one as recent as 2020. 
The NYPD initiated more vehicular pursuits in the first six months of 2023 than in the prior five years, thanks to Mayor Eric Adams' encouragement of the tactic. Mayor Adams is looking to impose limits on how long people can stay in a single shelter as the administration continues to struggle to accommodate asylum seekers. The city is distributing leaflets at the U.S.-Mexico border, trying to discourage migrants from coming to New York. In elections news, the American-Israeli Public Affairs Committee is reportedly recruiting a possible primary challenger to Congressmember Jamal Bowman, New York 16, Westchester County, after Bowman boycotted Israeli President Isaac Herzog's address to Congress and refused to support a resolution falsely claiming that Israel is not a racist apartheid state. Donors to Mayor Adams' campaign, who were indicted on campaign finance fraud charges, had direct contact with Rachel Atchison, one of Adams' longtime aides who now serves as his deputy director of food policy. Mayor Adams has raised $1.3 million for his re-election campaign since January of this year, largely from real estate executives and wealthy individuals in the suburbs outside of the city and in Florida. For Revolutions Per Minute, this is Carolyn Van Zeitz. Now back to the studio for today's show. Thank you, Caroline. Our headlines are brought to you by The Thorn, an incredible weekly newsletter by New York City DSA's Electoral Working Group covering local politics and radical activism. You can subscribe at thethornnyc.substack.com. For those just tuning in, this is Revolutions Per Minute. I'm Amy Wilson, and we are live tonight with a very special guest, a friend of mine who I'm really excited to have here on the show, David Desiree. I understand you're now on the phone with us live. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Great. So um, I heard your introduction to yourself, but the listeners didn't. So let's roll it back. Start from the beginning. Uh, Tell me a little bit about yourself and what brought you to the current place you are as an organizer. Absolutely. So um, my name is David Desiree Sherwood. Um, I'm 22 and I've been working at Amazon for about uh, two and a half, close to three years. Um, I currently work at the JFK 8 uh, Fulfillment Center in Staten Island, New York. Um, but I am originally from Connecticut and I started working at Amazon in August of 2020, at a fulfillment center called BDL3. Um, and I was there for about a year and a half, um, where, you know, I was 19 and I just needed a job and, you know, that's how I really got my foot in the door at Amazon. Um, from there, I eventually transferred to BDL5, which was a sortation center, um, in Connecticut a much smaller facility. Um, and then I eventually moved out to New York and I transferred to JFK where I've been, uh, for a little over a year now. Great. Thank you. So, um, I'm hearing you're a little bit low on the volume. So if you could project, uh, use your, use your organizer voice. Um, and thank you so much for rolling with, um, our live technical difficulties, but let's talk a little bit, David Desiree, if you don't mind about what your experience at Amazon has been like so far as a worker. You said you have a tenure of a little less than three years with Amazon, uh, a little around a year in Staten Island at the union facility, JFK 8. Um, But there's also a lot of interest and maybe some misconceptions about what it's like to work in an Amazon warehouse. So if you could tell us a little bit um, from somebody who knows, um, what do you want the public to know about what it's like to work at Amazon? 
Absolutely. Um, and if you can't hear me well, just let me know. I'm doing my best to project right now. Um, but I was going to say that, you know, working at Amazon Fulfillment Center um, and having worked at Amazon for as long as I have, it's definitely an experience, to say the least. Um, it's very physically demanding work. Um, the shifts are extremely long. Um, our shifts that we work at JFK are 10 hours long, uh, 10 to 12 hours, excuse me. And it's, again, it's very, very physically demanding work. Um, it's a lot of repetitive motion. And, you know, initially when you get there, you kind of go into like this, I, I call it like the, the, the honeymoon phase where everything's like, you know, it's nice, you know, it's physical, but like you can deal with it. But as you continue on and you keep doing these 10, 11, 12 hour shifts, over and over and over again it really wears on your body and eventually you just exhaust yourself so the turnover rate at amazon is astronomically high i believe it's a hundred and fifty percent um so you know buildings are churning through people a lot quicker than they can get them in a lot of instances absolutely and i'm sure that does present a big challenge for union organizers um, I also work in a high turnover environment, although I don't think we're at 150%. That's, that's pretty remarkable. Um, but I can speak to just how hard it makes um, building a better future when people are basically getting chewed up and spit out um, by the boss. And we are going to talk a little bit about some of the challenges um, people have faced um, at that Amazon warehouse in just a minute. Um, but I do want to take a moment and remind our listeners who may be just tuning in that this is Revolutions Per Minute. It is the official show of the Democratic Socialists of America in New York City. And tonight we are live with everything that comes with being live with a worker organizer from JFK 8 in Staten Island, which is to this date, the only union Amazon distribution facility. And though I think probably everybody who's heard of unions has probably heard of the Amazon labor union. It was a huge moment when the union won in April of 2022. And there's been several moments since then when the union has popped into public consciousness. But maybe people haven't heard of the reform efforts within Amazon labor union, um, which just became public this past month. So for those who are new to this story and are thinking, wow, I thought Amazon Labor Union was a new thing. What, what's the deal with a reform movement? Why is this happening? David Desiree, as a member of the caucus, can you give us a brief introduction to what's happened this month with Reform ALU, as well as what led up to it? Absolutely. So uh, I am a proud member of the Amazon Labor Union Democratic Reform Caucus. Um, our caucus was founded to, uh, you know, reform our union um, and make things more democratic because at this point in time, we have really been denied that as union workers. Um, we haven't had a chance to elect our own leadership. We haven't had the chance to vote on organizing plans or budgets or anything like that. Um, it's really unfortunate that, you know, it got to that point. But, you know, the reason we formed our caucus is to try and fix it because there are a lot of workers. I mean, basically every single worker there wants to see improvements. They want to see change. And a lot of people want to see our union succeed, but we'll never be able to succeed if things aren't democratic and, you know, worker-led and worker-involved, uh, which is really where this reform effort came in. Um, it's something that we've been pushing internally for uh, close to a year. Um, 
we've been trying to address things with the current union leadership saying, you know, to let them know, like, hey, we should have elections. We should have, you know, a larger executive board with elected seats and that sort of thing. But at this point, we have not had um, a single election for any uh, union officer position. Um, and it's very uh, it's currently structured in a way where the president just appoints every single uh, role on the executive board and no one gets a say in it. It's not democratic at all. It doesn't involve the workers. Right. And so I do understand that's one of the major demands of uh, the reform ALU caucus. Can you tell me a little bit about how, let's say, that that demand was developed? How did you and your coworkers come to an understanding of the fact that you would be needing to organize within your own union for some change? Um, the major, there were major points uh, when we, as like, you know, worker organizers, uh, were realizing that things really needed to change. Um, a huge part of it uh, was a meeting that happened in December of uh, 2022, in which we, you know, we as workers came in for a membership meeting with the current executive board there um, and our current president. Uh, Chris Smalls, basically, he stood up, he introduced a new union constitution that was just being presented to us. Uh, we asked if we could have a vote on the constitution, um, as there were a bunch of changes made that people were not made aware of. Um, and we were told no, and that if we didn't like it, um, there's the door. Um, it was incredibly disheartening and incredibly like problematic in that moment, um, which is why we realize we need to, you know, we need to restructure this. We need democracy because otherwise we're never going to, you know, achieve anything if workers aren't able to give their input and use their vote and use their voice um, when it comes down to organizing and that sort of thing. Absolutely. So, if you wouldn't mind, so Revolutions per Minute, for those who may not be familiar with it, is definitely a show by organizers for organizers. I'm a union organizer myself. I'm a member of a union organizing committee at my current workplace of, of Trader Joe's. Um, and a lot of our listeners um, have experience with organizing as well. So I'm definitely interested to hear your thoughts on this. And I imagine that our listeners will be too. How how did you organize your coworkers around this after and alongside also organizing your coworkers in the contract fight and in the fight against the boss, Amazon, which it should be noted probably goes without saying, but we'll just say it anyway, is one of the biggest employers in the world and one of the the hardest opponents, hardest adversaries than any any group of worker organizers could ever find themselves up against. And we can talk more about that later in the show as well. But how did you get people on board um, with your push for reform within the union itself? And what were the types of conversations that you were having with your coworkers, whether that was on the shop floor or through other means of organizing that you do? Absolutely. So like a majority of our conversations happened, you know, at work while we're doing our jobs or on, you know, our lunch breaks. Um, and I can say, for, at least for myself and a couple of other uh, 
like worker organizers, we would come back to the building during night shifts and talk to people during the night shift break waves uh, because we really wanted to show presence. Um, the main thing for us was being able to try and figure out how to navigate organizing against the company and the bosses while also trying to make people aware of the situation within our union and why it was important that we needed, you know, elections for leadership. Um, and a major way we were able to do that is through, find, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversations, talking to our coworkers, finding out what issues they care about at work, what, you know, upsets them with how Amazon is operating. Um, and people, you know, there's a lot of things that people are upset about from pay, you know, benefit issues, uh, time off, et cetera. Um, but we also were able to kind of steer that conversation and make people realize that we can change these things with a strong union. Uh, you know, if the workers are organized together, we can, you know, stand up to the bosses and, you know, win things that we deserve uh, for the work that we put in. But we were never going to be able to do that if we didn't have, you know, proper resources and, you know, union leadership that was actually willing to lead that charge. Um, and that's something that also resonated with a, a lot with workers. Um, we won our election at JFK a little over a year ago now. Um, and since then, nothing has really changed. Um, there's been very little presence from the current union leadership. There's very little um, presence inside the building, outside the building, et cetera. Um, you're lucky if you're able to you know, see any kind of union executive board member at work. Um, so due to the lack of presence and due to the lack of change, people realize like this current leadership doesn't, you know, have a game plan. There's never been a, an organizing game plan ever presented. Um, and even our union president, like, I believe he was quoted in the New York Times saying that he doesn't even believe in going on strike because it, quote, plays into the company's hands. And very much not how that works. Um, strikes are important for us to leverage our power against the bosses that we were able to accomplish stuff, um, which is why, you know, we had these conversations and eventually we did a, a petition uh, to have union elections uh, and, you know, amend our, our union constitution to guarantee that we have elections for leadership, uh, which was signed by over 800 uh, workers at JFK. I remember that comment um, by your union president, Chris Smalls, and in, in I do think it was the New York Times, and it, it definitely raised my eyebrows. I think it probably raised a lot of other people's eyebrows as well. I mean, for a labor leader, a union president to, to come out and say that we don't believe in striking is, is a pretty striking comment to make. Uh, I mean, one of the many examples of strikes power just occurred in the labor headlines today. Now, of course, we'll have to see what the membership of the Teamsters thinks of their tentative agreement with UPS. Um, it still has to go to them for a vote and a ratification. But we had this major story of the Teamsters building their strike threat, going on practice pickets, really demonstrating that the strike threat was very credible. And it did get the company to move. Now, it, again, it's up to them to decide whether it's gotten the company to move far enough. And we do respect rank and file worker uh, leadership here on Revolutions Per Minute. 
But it just goes to show that having a credible strike threat um, in your union or at your facility can really do a lot for your relationship with management and the gains that you're able to make. So you gathered your signatures on the on the petition, and then what happened from there? And what are you hoping will happen now going into the, the future? So basically, what's next for the Reform Caucus now that the petition's been circulated, the efforts are public, and a lawsuit has been filed to hopefully get this process moving forward and get some union elections at your facility? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're currently, since I've moved here a little bit over a year ago, I feel the most confident I felt about our organizing, uh, which is crazy to say because our caucus is organizing on virtually no resources. Uh, it's strictly just through, you know, showing up at the building and having these one-on-one -on -one conversations with people. Um, occasionally, we'll pool money together amongst ourselves to, um, you know, try and, you know, spread up literature and that sort of thing. And we did have a little bit of funding uh, from people that were aware of what was happening and, you know, they fundraised and you know, donated a bit, but we don't, you know, that funding was uh, very limited. Um, so yeah, going forward, we've built out our caucus um, pretty extensively. Uh, we have coverage on every shift now, which is something we've lacked as a union for the longest time, which is sad to say, but it's true. Um, but now that we have coverage on every shift and we're continually growing, we're continually recruiting more people um, into our caucus, we plan on, uh, you know, partaking in collective action against the bosses and really to demonstrate the importance of collective action. Uh, we also plan to uh, better formalize our caucus um, and have, you know, our own elections for caucus leadership um, and that sort of thing to make sure, you know, and we would make sure these elections are held regularly as well, because it's important to really set that standard and, you know, show the example of why it's important to have democracy and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, we've been building our upcoming uh, collective action plans, um, which I don't want to go too in-depth about, um, but it is very exciting. There's stuff in the works. Um, and yeah, I believe that everything I was going to say. Yes, it, don't don't tell it me anything you don't want the whole 99.5 FM listening public to know, but we are very interested in what you have coming up and we'll definitely have to have you and some of your um, comrades back on Revolutions Per Minute to chat about that once uh, it is um, public knowledge. So uh, for those just tuning in, this is Revolutions Per Minute on listener-supported 99.5 FM WBAI. I am live here with David Desiree. They are an organizer with the Reform ALU Caucus. They are a worker organizer at uh, the JFK 8 facility in Staten Island, that famous facility that made labor history when they voted to form the independent Amazon labor union back in April of 2022. We are talking about what's happened since then and what it actually looks like to be a member of an independent union to try to build something from the ground up to deal with the various idiosyncrasies and human nature and everything that you'll find where people are gathered and how to move past that and through that and organize for 
better working conditions, which at the end of the day is what unions are about. So um, if you think that's cool, you know what to do. Uh, you heard Reggie, our engineer in the studio at the beginning of the show, talking about WBAI and the types of communities that WBAI serves with its content here on 99.5 FM, 24 seven, 365. Um, if you're one of those people, if you've been part of that community, please participate in keeping the community going by giving a donation today. It's really easy to do it. You can just go to WBAI.org or call 212-209-2950. That's 212-209-2950. And maybe all you've got to give today is $5. That's fantastic. Think about it. It's 99.5 FM. We probably have hundreds of thousands of people listening right now. So if only a few of them gave $100,000, that would be amazing. But if a lot of them gave $5, that would be equally amazing. And that really speaks to the philosophy of community support, of democracy, of equal participation, of all types of people having a voice. And that's what WBAI and the Pacifica Radio Network have been about for a long, long time now. So Let's say um, that's cool. Let's say we support it. We're part of it. We're down with it. Um, and don't just say that with your words. Say it with your actions by going to WBAI.org or calling 212-209-2950. That's 212-209-2950 and making your donation today. I personally think um, this type of show is one of my favorite types of shows that I get to, to do. Um, I'm really happy to connect directly with a worker organizer, with somebody who's at the center of a story that many people are interested in, that many people would like to have opinions on. We were talking a little bit about that before I went, we went live tonight um, with our show. Um, but David Desiree isn't somebody who's sitting on the sidelines. This is somebody who is talking about their own workplace, who is talking about their own paycheck, their own relationship to management, and what they are doing to take action there. Um, and that's a type of voice that I really think we need to hear more of. And if you agree, again, you already know what to do. It's pick up the phone, call 212 209-2950. That's 212-209-2950. Or maybe you're a millennial or even younger and you want to do it online. You'd rather die than call somebody on the phone. I totally get it. Just grab your computer or your tablet and go to WBAI.org and you can figure out from there how to make your donation today. Maybe it's $5, maybe it's $10, maybe it's $100, and maybe you'd like to make that monthly. But whatever you do, please make sure that you tell them Revolutions Per Minute sent you and tell them that you'd love to support content that focuses on worker organizing, workplace justice, and the crucial importance of that for everybody. Thank you so much for listening to Revolutions Per Minute and to all of our current donors. We really appreciate your support and we hope we can count on you into the future. So returning now to my conversation with David Desiree, you, you talked a little bit um, in your remarks a couple minutes ago about talking to your coworkers about union democracy, why it's important, and why you and, and hundreds of others at JFK8 have chosen to organize around that. But I'd love to hear a little bit more on 
basically your your personal opinion on that question. You know, you, you've you've got a lot of skin in the game. Um, you're you're spending a lot of hours working on this, and why? Absolutely. Um, so the main thing for me personally is that you can't have a functional worker involved union that wins a strong contract while being entirely undemocratic and not involving workers and allowing them to vote or speak up or dissent against anything. Um, it's essential that you have democracy because if you don't, then people won't want to be involved. And if you don't have people involved, then you can't engage in collective action. You can't be organized. And if you can't do that, then you have no leverage and no leverage leads you to winning uh, you know, really poor contracts if you're even able to get to the table at all, which as of right now, uh, Amazon has refused to, you know, recognize our victory at JFK. They refused to come to the table and bargain with us. Um, recently, the NLRB uh, filed a complaint uh, over Amazon's refusal to bargain, which is great. But at the end of the day, what's going to get them to the table is, you know, worker power and being organized um, to take on the bosses themselves. And without democracy, we can never achieve that. And I think the workers at JFK really realize that at this point, because there has been so little change uh, since our union victory and so little presence from the current union leadership. A majority of our, you know, a majority of our coworkers, their only interaction with any kind of union anything has been through caucus members uh, because, you know, we're worker organizers. We're there, you know, along them, alongside them, scanning boxes, packing boxes, you know, whatever it may be. And we're the ones that are actually having those conversations. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a really important point about um working side by side with somebody and how that gives you a greater degree of connection with them, empathy with them, a sense of shared struggle. You know, I, I say that as somebody who um, was always very into labor, um, was kind of a troublemaker, squeaky wheel always um, in my personal working life. Um, but then through being a member of a union organizing effort, experienced that to a completely different level, uh, just hypercharged to uh, an insane degree. And it's something I, I think about a lot um, is that, you know, people tend to trust the people that they know the best, that they spend the most time with, and that they feel have common interests with them. And uh, there's nothing more in line with that for most people than than your coworkers. So before I go on to my next question for you, David Desiree, I just want to give you a second to respond to that if you want to. No, I just, I mean, I agree 100% with everything you're saying. It's very important that we have that, you know, democracy in place because, you know, without people being able to give their input, then, you know, you're never going to be able to get people organized and you're never going to be able to, you know, improve the working conditions and improve your workplace and that sort of thing. Right. And it's really a matter of people feeling that the union is something that involves them and they are involved with directly, as opposed to feeling that the union is something that's there to serve them or service them. 
um, because I think like we've, we've heard it on Revolutions Per Minute many, many times. And I think that's what leads unions, among other things, of course, of course, the right wing assaults on unions, the corporate assaults on unions going directly against major corporations with very powerful interests and billions of dollars, not to take that out of the equation. It's a really important part of the struggle here. But one thing that often leads unions into being ineffective is when the members lose engagement and the members lose interest and lose their sense of feeling like um, the union is something that, again, they, they have skin in the game of. So um, we are going to go to listener calls in just a moment. So I'll share that number now. It's 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877. I'm live here in the studio with David Desiree, a worker organizer um, at Amazon JFK 8 and a member of a caucus working to reform the independent Amazon labor union. Really enjoying our conversation so far. If you have a comment, question, a message of solidarity for us in the studio, please give us a call, 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. And um, really excited to keep chatting with you, David Desiree, as we kind of move toward um, the end of our show. And one thing that I'd love to ask you is what do you want the public to know about your organizing, right? This is straight from the horse's mouth. The, the horse, no offense, uh, is you. And you're here um, live in the studio on 99.5 FM. And it's kind of a, an opportunity to get your message out on a subject that's often misunderstood. I think a lot of union reform efforts deal with accusations of bad faith or accusations that they are advancing those right-wing assaults on, on unions. Um, and I'm giving you a chance and a platform here to, to kind of say it in your own words. And, and if the public takes away one thing from this conversation, um, what would you hope that that would be? The main takeaway I want to stress is that this is a worker-led, you know, initiative to reform our, our union and have elections for leadership. Um, this, you know, this isn't anything that's like, Funded. This is strictly like grassroots organizing, um, and it's a very large and diverse effort to reform our union as well. Um, in terms of the lawsuit that we filed to hopefully force, you know, elections within our own union because we've been denied that right uh, thus far, we have over 86 plaintiffs on the suit, um, all of whom have had, uh, you know, organizing conversations of their own, all of whom are pretty engaged. Um, and we also had a petition that was circulated throughout JFK 8, which collected 822 signatures um, from workers to, you know, basically demand that we have uh, elections for leadership um, because it's been something that we've been denied thus far. Um, there's very low engagement in the building. There are so many new hire uh, workers that didn't even know that we had a union uh, coming in because they see absolutely no presence from the current union leadership. Um, it's it's honestly disappointing, but it's very important to know that like this reform effort is being led by the workers. And at this point, our caucus like greatly outnumbers um, the executive board um, in terms of people that are actively engaged and you know having these one-on-one -on -one conversations and are planning. Uh, the collective action together uh, and that sort of thing. Yeah, so like the main takeaway is that this is worker-led. This isn't um, 
any bad faith effort. This is something to try and make sure that our efforts succeed because our current leadership is really difficult to, you know, find at this point. You don't see them at the building often and they haven't presented any kind of credible organizing plan and we want to see that changed. And ultimately, and I, I will once again remind our listeners, this is Evolutions Per Minute. Our phone lines are open here in the studio, 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. Um, we've got about uh, 10, 15 minutes left in the show, so definitely time to hear from our listening audience. If there's anyone out there who would like to give us a call, once again, the number is 212-209-2877. And uh David, um, you're talking about the the goals of the organizing, you know, in the in the big picture, and so so let's talk about that big picture, um, if you can. Um, I, I would guess that sort of the next step here um, is getting to a contract uh, with Amazon, or at least getting Amazon to the table to start bargaining a contract. Is there anything you can tell me about that process and what the union is ideally looking for? Um, in that contract? Absolutely. So it's our goal as a caucus right now is to try and get our coworkers engaged uh, to any degree with, you know, uh, like the union effort to get a winner contract to JFK. And ultimately, we want to win a strong contract with significantly improved wages to deal with New York City's cost of living. Uh, you know, it's at the end of the day, it what goes into our contract will be decided by our workers, um, you know, our coworkers and whatnot through a, a membership vote and that sort of thing. Like we want to see, uh, you know, vast improvements. But our next steps right now are to try and get people organized and try and get our coworkers, you know, ready to take on the bosses, so to speak, and really just get ourselves strike ready, which is difficult to do, but it's also essential. And it's how we have leverage against our, you know, our bosses. It's how we'll be able to improve the working conditions at JFK. Because if we're not strike ready and we don't have any kind of strike threat and there is no collective action at work, then Amazon will have absolutely no incentive to, uh, to give us a good contract, let alone bargain a contract and even come to the table. Right. And uh, I mentioned it a little bit uh, earlier in the show, but I would love to hear your thoughts on kind of shifting from the question of uh, the reform effort within Amazon Labor Union to the, the larger question of workers versus Amazon, right? And, and what this movement can potentially do for the working class and and the many people who are currently employed by Amazon and the people who will be employed by Amazon in the future because as you said the turnover is incredibly high and my understanding is some of their strategy as a employer is basically just counting on a never-ending supply of bodies to carry out the the labor for them um, I think we're now in a, a moment of increased labor militancy, of increased working class consciousness that's been on the uprise for the last 10, 15 years. And hopefully, as this movement continues to unfurl, we'll, we'll bear fruit for the working class. But if you could, as somebody who experiences this in, in your daily life, talk to me a little bit about 
um, what it's like to be a unionist and a union organizer working at Amazon. What type of opposition do you encounter, whether that be from the corporate level or what I'm really interested to hear, um, the real nitty gritty level on the shop floor? And, and what is it like for you in the day to day? Do you experience any pushback from management? How does their anti-union effort show up on the shop floor, if at all? And before you answer, David Desiree, just want to mention one more time, um, I can take a hint if no one wants to call in. I'm happy to talk to David Desiree for the rest of the hour, um, but it's 212-209-2877 here in the studio, 212-209-2877. And I'll, I'll turn it over to you now, David Desiree. Yeah, so the response from Amazon ultimately is they're just trying to pretend that our union doesn't exist. Um, they won't respect Weingarten rights. They won't, you know, engage with our union in any way. Um, generally speaking, the m major pushback that I've received as an organizer has been um, through this policy that they have that is just blatantly illegal. Uh, they call it the off-duty access policy, which is basically it bars any Amazon associate from being inside the building uh, during uh, non-working hours. Um, so you can't even go into the break room without them saying that you're in violation of this policy, even though that this is like a completely, you know, protected right <laughs> um, under Section 7. So it's, it's disappointing that they'll push back with the way that they do, but it is also something that I am more than happy to break, um, as are many other worker organizers, because it's completely, like I said, it's a completely illegal policy. Um, it's there to try and, you know, uh, basically stomp out, you know, uh, organizing efforts because they want to make it as difficult as possible for you to get in contact with workers. Um, and it's, I mean, it's something that they can't even enforce fairly or accurately. It's enforced entirely in a discriminatory way against uh, union organizers. So, I mean, it's not a policy that really holds up well in court either. Um, but in terms of any other pushback that I've received, uh, generally speaking, at least in my specific department, it's the reception or like the, the perception I get from my coworkers is usually that you know, it's a, how do, I, how do I explain it? It's basically like we're engaged and we're able to talk with one another. And it's not often that we're interrupted or anything like that. Uh, a majority of the pushback has been through uh, the off-duty access policy, so to speak. Mm, yeah, that that's really interesting. And you know, just speaking as somebody who um, is also organizing my workplace in a much different context than yours, that, that's one thing that um, makes me grateful for the situation that I'm in, um, organizing in retail. It's not easy, but it sure, sure can be fun sometimes. And one of the fun things about organizing in retail is that um, retail establishments are usually open to the public per se. So um, I can always go into my store to shop and several of my um, union organizing committee uh, comrades who have been fired for organizing um, still come into the shop regularly and, and we're able to maintain a, a visibility of the union and a kind of sense of defiance 
uh, of management because they they really can't bar us for from coming in. So you mentioning that has has made me grateful for that aspect of my own organizing. And I will just also say that my heart totally just leapt with joy when I heard you say, you know, and they can't do that because it's a violation of Section 7 of the Section 7 of the National Labor Relations Act, which is the section that governs the rights of uh, union organizers and workers uh, at, at work and which every worker organizer kind of has to know front and back like like the palm of their hand. So <laughs> I'm proud of you. And um, I'm, I'm sure that a lot of your coworkers as well have had a lot of consciousness raised and a lot of education um, through this process, which is also a really important outcome of organizing a union. So now coming to the end of our show, um, we've got about five minutes before we've got to leave the studio and, and make room for the next WBAI program. Um, David, Desiree, I'll ask you a two-part question. One is, um, this is an unfolding story. As you mentioned, you've got more cooking. We're hoping to have you back on Revolutions Per Minute in the future to discuss that. But for people who do want to follow along in the meantime, um, how can people follow along? That's part one. Part two is you and I met um, online uh, when you were kind enough to post a message of solidarity um, to my store, uh, the Trader Joe's Williamsburg when we went through a union election and, and lost. And so I wanna give you as well an opportunity to um, expand the, the focus. Um, you've been great talking about Amazon and the Reform ALU caucus, but if there's anything that you'd like to use this opportunity to say to workers who are organizing elsewhere, please, the floor is yours. Thank you. Um, so as for the first part, um, you can follow our uh, caucus uh, Twitter page. It's at Reform ALU on Twitter. Um, we regularly will post our updates um, as well as, you know, just general messages of solidarity with other uh, unions and, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, but we post our updates and our um, and we will be posting more in the near future as well as our, um, you know, collective action game plans uh, unfold. Um, we also have a Instagram page, which is reform or at reform underscore ALU, uh, which uh, the same updates get posted there as well. Uh, so you can go ahead and follow us both on Twitter or on Instagram. Um, again, the Twitter is reform ALU and the Instagram is reform underscore ALU. Um, as for the second part of your question, the main message that I want to share with you know worker organizers regardless of where you're at whether you're a teamster at ups or a fellow alu member at jfk8 or if you're organizing for the first time and you you know don't know what union you're going to affiliate with or that sort of thing my main thing is reminding people that it's okay to be scared it's okay to be afraid but it's also so important to be courageous and when you start to amass numbers and you start to pull your coworkers to do things alongside you it becomes significantly less scary because there's always strength in numbers and there are a lot more of us than there are of them you know the the bosses and the management they can't run these facilities they can't run these businesses without our labor and they need to realize that so just you know 
it's okay to be scared, but be courageous and things will get easier as time goes on. And there's always strength in numbers. Absolutely. And, and you're not alone when you're a worker organizer. You're, you always have people with you who are struggling alongside you. And um, I personally think that makes it a little easier. <laughs> and uh, David Desiree, really happy to, to count you among the people that I'm struggling alongside. I'm happy to count you as a comrade in the larger movement. And thank you so much for visiting us on the show tonight. Thank you so much for having me. And the sentiment is the same. I really appreciate your you know, camaraderie and solidarity. And I look forward to advancing this struggle uh, alongside you. So again, thank you for having me. You've been listening to Revolutions Per Minute on listener-sponsored WBAI in New York City, broadcasting at 99.5 FM and streaming on your favorite podcast app. We are out of time for today, but to connect with us after the show, you can always email us at revolutionsnyc at gmail.com. You can find us on our website, revolutionsperminute.simplecast.com or on Twitter at NYCRPM. I'm Amy Wilson. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time and solidarity forever. Good night. <laughs>